crossing the stream. Few cross over the river. Most are stranded on this side. On the river bank, they run up and down. But the wise person following the way crosses over beyond the reach of death, free from desire, free from possessions, free from attachment and appetite, following the seven lights of awakening and rejoicing greatly in one's freedom. In this world, the wise person becomes oneself a light, pure, shining, free. And so we're traveling here this week following the lights of awakening. And over the last number of days, our mindfulness has been building and growing. We've been using skillful investigation and energy has been building. For some of us, there have been times of joy or contentment and tranquility and gradual stillness. And we can all feel the deepening stillness in the room. And this morning when Gil was guiding us to pay attention, just this deliberate connection and opening into tranquility, we could feel the concentration deepening. And so this is the next factor of awakening, the gradual building of stability and stillness. Often when we talk about insight practice, it's stopping and seeing. And this is the concentration, this stillness, stopping, so that we can really settle and see clearly. And as we follow the tranquility, the calm, the mind becomes less and less reactive, more at ease. So then it's easier for the concentration to development, to develop. It's as though the tranquility is freeing the mind from grasping and wanting and leaning forward. And the whole energy system starts to relax back into calm rather than reaching out and looking for something more interesting to happen. So as you're listening now, Allow that to continue to develop, to relax back, to be at ease, to relax and release into the present moment as you listen. The Buddha said, develop concentration, O monks. One who is concentrated sees things as they really are. And is this seeing that's necessary for the liberating insight. And there's a stability, a steadiness that develops. And rather than, sometimes we think of concentration, get concentrated as tight, contracted, striving, goal-oriented. Learn to concentrate in school has that kind of tightness to it. 
But this is much more a steadiness, a stability, an openness, an ease. It's as though we're gathering and integrating all the streams of energy of the body, the mind, and the heart together, gathering ourselves out of being split off and separate. As Max was talking about the other night, we're gathering in this splitting off and separation into an open awareness, a fullness of being right here, fully present. So it's as though the light is being collected into a laser beam of concentration that we can use to cut through confusion. And once it's unified, once we feel that unification, things begin to separate out naturally to become more clear. The Buddha talked about um, concentration. He described it as like purifying gold so that all the impurities begin to melt out, separate out, and the gold becomes more and more refined. So there's a releasing. So as we collect our attention in and our energy in, it's as though we're gathering in all the positive energies, all the positive qualities, the other factors of awakening, some of the beautiful qualities of mind and heart. We're gathering all these forces together in the mind and that allows the mind to look at itself and then begin to see and dissolve the things that are causing suffering and preventing us from seeing clearly. This is from Chip Hartstrand. If one sets down a bowl of muddy water and carefully keeps it from being disturbed, whatever energy had kept all the particles suspended will play out and they will settle. When they do, they reveal something fundamental about the water. It was already clear and just required a bit of care to reveal its elemental nature. In a sense, this path of development, or bhavana, is a process of purifying one's internal ecology, which many in the Buddha's day understood to be indivisible for the la- from the larger ecology. And so we're collecting and unifying and in that way coming to a place of non-separation and clarity. So the concentration is not just a pleasant abiding, it's also clear seeing and also a transformative way of getting to the roots. It's called uprooting the defilements understanding clearly and freeing and transforming. And the stability, as you've been experiencing the last number of days, brings us more and more fully here, to an unshakable heart. It's, it's one of the analogies I like is um, there's a bridge that goes from the safe shore to the other side of the stream, to the shore of clarity, liberation, freedom. 
And there are three pillars. The pillar that's this side of the bridge is the pillar of integrity, sila, the precepts that we've kept, the ways of living our lives so that we, um, we feel free from conflicting. Um, we're having the intention to be free from harming and that allows the concentration to build. So that's the first pillar. The one in the middle, in the depth, is samadhi, is concentration. And then the far pillar is wisdom. The middle pillar plunges down through the depths of all the fast-flowing currents of the mind. It anchors the pillars, anchors us through all the currents of the mind, our reactivities and our stories, so that we can find the stability to cross to freedom and liberation. And as you've been exploring, there are different types of concentration. There's the concentration of just collecting on one object, fixed object. And that could be the breath. It could be a mantra. could be loving kindness, metta, phrases, or using the body sensations, or even the sensations of walking. So often it's it's a, um, a choosing one object that we're building stillness with. Or we have momentary concentration, which was what Gil was guiding us with this morning, where we deliberately pay attention to one thing at a time, moment by moment, including sensations, emotions, thoughts, everything that's changing. So how do we cultivate concentration? I'd like to talk about that a little bit. And the first thing, of course, is to notice, is it present or absent? Is this a moment with concentration or not? If it's here, is it here a little bit or a lot? And how can we, if it's not there, what can we do to help develop it? And if it is there, how can we deepen it? What do we do? All of the factors of awakening support the development of concentration. And then we need, how as we begin the retreat, we need sila. It's called the bliss of blamelessness. If we haven't caused harm, then we don't have as many disturbing thoughts. Loving kindness, compassion, all support it. Relaxation, making a commitment, and surrendering to allowing things to be the way they are. Simplicity and trust are also qualities that support our concentration and being able to have the attitude of starting where we are. That's the beginner's mind. And one of the most important ones for me is being just to make this intention let go of limiting beliefs. Let go of limiting beliefs about what's possible. So there's a word in Pali, viveka, and that's the withdrawing of attention from all the outside things that we normally are looking at, but bringing, gathering the attention in that we usually use for seeking, grasping, exploring, (coughs) 
drawing it in. And then, as Shada was describing the other night, we practice with these two beautiful qualities, Viveka and Vitaka. And that's a little bit similar to what we were doing this morning. Bringing the attentiveness here, that's the first one. Bringing it in, connecting with the object of our attention, whether it's the breath, directing the attention back into the present moment, inviting a friendly relationship. Here, here we are. And we're training the attention to be with whatever it is we've chosen, whether it's the breath or um, a sensation. Here. So just for a moment, um, your hands could be in your lap or, or just to be aware of your hands and then gently connect one hand with the other. That's the vitaka, connecting. Just gently. You're not pushing into it or holding on to it. Just gently. And then allow yourself to receive the sensations. To fully become intimate. Might be aware of warmth, moisture, heaviness, lightness. What's it like to become intimate with these sensations? How is it to be really here with this experience? So it's a receptive thing, a completely receiving, whatever it is. Relaxing, softening. And also, if you notice that you're wandering off, then the bit of effort to just reconnect. So there's a creativity too to maintain interest, a real exploration and becoming intimate with more and more detail. And it's that curious, kind attention over and over. So that we're meeting the habit patterns of avoidance and we're developing the ability over and over to say, not now, here. Right in this moment. So maybe as you're listening, your attention, you have um, some concentration and your attention occasionally goes to after the talk or maybe to tomorrow or a variety of other things. And so maybe you hear about one word in five or ten, <laughs> depending, or twenty. <laughs> and overall you get the gist of it. <laughs> but the come more fully here, completely in your body. What's that like? And be aware of hearing and of the sensation in your hands. And we're also learning about the tendencies of each of our minds. We all have our particular ways of getting drawn off. And I like the analogy of having road signs in your mind to mark where you're most likely to wander. You know, it's as though you're going down the highway of concentration and there's a signpost on the left that goes to past relationships. (laughs) And so you could have a sign there saying, danger, mind about to wander. (laughs) But you know that 
which are your particular vulnerabilities. And so you can be aware of those. Get to know that particular proclivity of mind. So mindfulness acts like a gatekeeper. It supports the concentration so that the mind gets a little bit restrained from the amplifying and proliferating and storytelling with the things that it receives. It's a natural thing for the mind to do. But we're just, with these two qualities, vitaka and vichara, we're restraining and really redirecting and becoming intimate with our objects of concentration. And so we apply, connect, and sustain over and over in a light, receptive way. It's very gentle. And it's a patient thing that we just keep doing with this inner resolve, relaxed perseverance. And one of the key things is as best we can to keep it continuous. So for example, just now, pay attention to the breath. Don't have to close your eyes, but just be with the breath. See if you can be with an in-breath for the whole duration of that in-breath. And then the out-breath for the whole duration of that out-breath. The whole of the in-breath and the whole of the out-breath, continual. Then notice, was your attention on the in-breath complete or was it partial? Because we can have continuous attention, but there's a background-foreground thing. And I think you know what I mean. You can be aware of in, out, and you're thinking up a storm. Or you can be walking, lifting, moving, placing, and your mind is nowhere near spirit rock. And so that's this partial attention. And what we're trying to cultivate is a more complete attention so that it's continuous and we're also staying. And that's what gently, it's not a forcing, it's just a noticing, oh, There's a background foreground. Let's bring the breath more into the foreground. Let's bring the present moment more into the foreground and release the past. Another way of looking at that is as though you were looking at a picture in an art gallery and you're just kind of sitting there and you're softly focused on the picture and your mind is thinking about all sorts of things and people. And then you start to look at the picture more closely and you begin to see all the details and the fine details of the colors and the structures and um, the patterns. That's the complete attention. And again, it's not a sort of magnifying Sherlock Holmes straining to see. It's just very receptive, receiving more and more of what's actually here and releasing all the added chatter. So we develop a clearer and clearer awareness of whatever it is that's our object of attention. It gets clearer and brighter. And it builds a momentum so that more and more of our moments 
become still and become clarified. And it's really helpful to keep remembering the supports that the other factors of awakening provide. The light-heartedness, the kind attention, the calm. And just sense that right now, having a lightness about your attitude. Whether there's concentration here or not, it's okay. If this moment is okay or not, it's okay. A gentleness will help it build. Because the more present we are, the more clearly we'll see the nature of body and mind and heart and all these movements of the hindrances, desire, aversion, confusion, that stop us from seeing clearly. So as these two work together, the connecting, the sustaining, the um, building, a momentum starts to build. And then um, another quality develops, which in Pali is called piti. Sometimes it's translated as rapture. Sometimes the word um, um, joy is used. But it's a sort of different meaning of the word joy. It's more a sense of, um, I like the word savoring as though you're being filled with the experience. You're being completely, um, the experience of the breath, of the objects of concentration, start to really settle in. So just let your eyes close for a moment. And we can use um, the breath and loving kindness practice to kind of explore this. So it's as though you're breathing in metta, as you've done throughout the days. Have the sense of breathing in metta, friendliness. And as you breathe out, the sense of letting it pervade and radiate through your whole body. Breathing in metta. As you breathe out, allowing the sense of metta, friendliness, or perhaps the warmth or coolness of the breath to fill, pervade, saturate your whole being. The body and mind and heart filled with this awareness of breath or of metta. just to the extent that's possible right now. As though you were savoring the experience of the breath or the sense of friendliness and caring. as we allow that to settle gradually over time, a sense of ease, contentment, sometimes sweetness or happiness arises. And the term for that is sukha. 
the mind and the being are becoming more still. And gradually there's a deepening and a settling. And then if we allow that to deepen and settle, completely fully allow it in the whole of our body, mind and heart, then there's an integration of body, mind and heart called ekagata. And that's this sense of grounding, of unification, of just being right here. And there's a really deep sense of balance, ease, and equanimity. And so it may be that as we were doing that, just a little bit of settling happened, or maybe a little more. And these are these qualities, Uttaka, Vichara, Piti, Sukha, and Ekagata or Ekagata. <laughs> um, are known as the five jhanic factors, or the five factors that when they're in balance, completely balanced, um, we enter a state of absorption. And that's one particular path of practice that some of you are familiar with. But whether we, we um, do that or not, balancing these qualities is very helpful to our practice, whatever practice we're doing. And sometimes what can happen is this uh, quality of pity um, can be very bright and there can be a lot of energy and, and excitement with it. And that's when we need to intentionally bring in a little more calm. Mindfulness can show, whoa, there's a lot of energy and excitement here. And there's just this shh, calming, calming. And sometimes... Um, we need to bring a little more energy in. And so gradually, our mindfulness and our investigation help balance the factors and bring this integration of body and mind and heart that can cut through our habitual reactivity. It can cut through the restlessness, the obsessive thinking, the busyness. And some of you have been describing that what a relief it is to have that begin to calm down and unwind. The addiction to busyness and to stories when it starts to decrease is such a relief. And this profound stillness and calm is very healing. And I'll talk a little bit more about um, the, um, the absorption in a little bit. The, one, the way we've been also in this retreat um, building concentration is this momentary concentration where we direct mindfulness to all the changing states of mind and body. We're maintaining this continuity of awareness, whatever's arising, whether it's a breath or a sensation or a thought or a mood. We're directing our attention to whatever's predominant moment by moment. The thoughts come and go just like the breath comes and goes. And we're building the ability to shift between the things that change just as we were doing in the meditation this morning. 
we're developing this one-pointedness, but it's on changing events rather than just the breath or a metaphrase. And the same principle applies of continuity. We keep the awareness continuous. So it doesn't matter what the object is, whether the object of our awareness is a disgusting mind moment or a really pleasant one. We're keeping the continuity of mindfulness. And it's complete. We're fully here. We're not anticipating the future. We notice if we're revisiting the past. We notice whatever it is that's going on. There's no wrong thought to have. There's just knowing what's happening. And so the mind gradually gets unified with itself. It gets more and more gathered in. And as the mind gets steadier and steadier and is able to stay present more and more with this changing flow of experience, um, there's a steadiness that develops. And we're actually more able to not just pay attention to the objects themselves, but to the awareness, to the mind, that all this is flowing through. So it's as though we can connect with the stillness with the bottom of the lake, as Gil was describing, and notice, be, really see all the things that are happening on the surface, but not be moved by them. Because we really know, can sense, can feel the stillness. And we can practice this sometimes when the mind is, is relatively quiet. For example, with the breath, we can pay attention to the breath and know, really be intimate with the sensations of the breath. And then we can look at the mind that's knowing the breath. Oh, can pay attention to that. I um, sat a retreat with one of the um, Burmese teachers, Utejaniya, some time ago. And his teaching is building stability by um, paying attention to whatever object arises in your awareness. And I love getting my mind concentrated. I really like it. And so I, I was um, playing hooky and doing that. Mm-hmm. I would take a session and really let my mind get concentrated because I love the feeling of that stillness and calm. And then I noticed that my mind could get absorbed into anything. It could get absorbed into tying my shoelaces. Some of you have known this kind of thing on retreat, where you just become transfixed. And my shoelaces were exquisite. (laughs) There was all this pity and rapture about tying my shoelaces. I began to see this is not leading to wisdom. (laughs) And I saw that the the mind develops in concentration, but it could glom on to anything and become enthralled with that. I was um, sitting in the hall um, and it was very quiet, no one else was in the hall. And the vacuum cleaner started outside and normally I would be distracted by that. But the vacuum cleaner sounded so wonderful. (laughs) It was sort of ecstatic (laughs) of the vacuum cleaner. So this is a problem. Um, this is not what I came here to do. 
And so then I started paying attention to the breath, and I turned the mind, and I could see, oh, look, here is the mind glomming onto the breath. Oh, here it is glomming onto this pleasant sensation. And I really had a, a, a clear sense of the movement of the mind that wanted to do that. And so there's, the concentration is really useful, but we need to be able to apply it in a way that's skillful. And that's what the Buddha taught. He taught that the object needs to be wholesome, we need to develop one-pointedness, and we use it to develop wisdom. This is um, from Ajahn Chah. Concentration must be firmly established for wisdom to arise. To concentrate the mind is like turning on the switch. Wisdom is the resulting light. Without the switch, there is no light. But we should not waste our time playing with the switch. (laughs) That's what I was doing. Likewise, concentration is the empty bowl, and wisdom the food that fills it and makes the meal. Do not be attached to the object of meditation, such as a mantra. Know its purpose. If you succeed in concentrating your mind using the mantra, Do, let the mantra go. It's a mistake to think that to stop repeating Do would be laziness. Do means the one who knows. And if knowing happens, if you know, why repeat the word? Ajahn Lee Damodaro has another lovely way of describing that because they use the word budo as a way of um, getting concentrated in some places in Thailand. Bu with the in-breath, do with the out-breath. Being awake, knowing. And he said, when your buffalo comes, stop calling its name. <laughs> it came home. You don't need to call it anymore. And so all these techniques are tools. And the more concentrated and still we become, the less they start to fall away. Sometimes the breath will disappear for a while. The noting will disappear. There's just knowing. We don't have to add anything at that point. There's another um, wonderful Thai master, Upasika Ki Nanayan, a woman who um, um, was, had wonderful, wonderfully developed concentration and insight. And she says, if you are aware right at awareness itself, without getting involved, the mind can be at normalcy, equanimous, calm, balanced, and undisturbed. And so that's gathering in of attention. And by nor- she uses the word normalcy, but it's more this unreactivity, which is the normal state of the mind, when there's stillness, before we start stirring everything up and getting distracted. So as our practice develops, the mind is, we begin to be able to be steady in all situations, whatever we're doing. The mind can get so still 
that whatever moves through the mind is simply known and it doesn't cause any harm. So we can be still without having to get rid of everything. But this is a kind of stillness that can include anything and yet not be disturbed by it. Calm, still, and knowing. I'd like to just say a couple of things about the um, different um, ways of, of practicing concentration because there are advantages and disadvantages. When we practice using one object, for example, the breath or a mantra, it keeps it very simple. And it can be a really... um, The Buddha used the breath as um, an object of concentration. It's very valuable. And um, it can bring deep calm and stillness and keep us grounded. If we release everything but the breath, the mind becomes very still and absorbed. Sometimes we can get tight and controlled around the breath. Or sometimes we can do what I was doing and we get um, um, into this state where we get sort of attached to it. We can also get quite dull and this can happen more in daily life practice. Ajahn Chah again calls it chicken practice. He says, chickens sit on their nests for hours. And so we just sort of in, out, in, out. And that's um, another word for that is stupid shamatha, where there's this kind of dullness that's there. Sometimes the mind can get very quite calm and still and it's almost frozen. And the analogy I like is it's like a cow chewing its cud. It's sort of cow consciousness. There's this sort of... um, um, the kind of feeling <laughs> that some of us get when we get concentrated. And if we don't notice that, you can kind of zone out for a while. Mind's very still, but there's too much tranquility. We're kind of stuck there. Again, in mindfulness investiga- and investigation help balance that. And we need to bring more brightness into the mind with interest, with with a little joy. When we have that more open attention with no anchor, sometimes it can be called shamatha without support, or sometimes it can be called, um, oh, the word has disappeared. If it comes back, I'll let you know. <laughs> um, but the attention is choiceless awareness. It came back. When I don't look for it, it comes. <laughs> Um, but the knowing is continually aware. That's a wonderful practice um, and has a lot of advantages in that there's an openness and an inclusivity and a real quality of presence that we can do anywhere. Um, so the val- that has a great value and it can be effortless and we're not trying to control our experience. One of the disadvantages is that if there isn't very much concentration, already we get spaced out or we can easily follow things and, um, and lose, our, lose the ability to be present and drift off. It can be helpful to use both in balance. So we might have a primary anchor for a little bit to build some stability 
And then as we've been doing here with the breath, then we start to open out and include more and more. And if we get confused, we lose concentration, we might notice, oh, there's no concentration. We can return to the breath. For some of us, it's easier to build the concentration with the breath. And for some of us, it's easier to have a more fluid um, attention. And we start to recognize what's the most skillful for each of us. And that's how investigation works. It reveals what's beneficial, what's working for me, and what isn't, what's helpful. And so it's an art finding this balance. And really there's a balance between interest and energy and tranquility. And um, where there's always this fluid fine-tuning that's going on in our practice. Sometimes we need to discern when a really gentle continuity and acceptance is supporting the development of concentration. And other times it may be there's more firmness needed and more deliberation. We need to have a sort of deliberate connection and then um, the tranquility will build. So we sense that. And the concentration can deepen. So investigation is revealing the difference between tightness and tension, between doing and being. A tiny bit more doing, a little more being, whatever it is that's needed at any one time. And it's an amazing feedback loop because the more the concentration builds, the easier it is to see clearly what's needed. As the concentration builds, the mind gets very malleable and flexible. We're able to actually call up these factors of awakening and say, oh, a little more um, investigation, please. (laughs) And incline the mind a little more to calm. And so it continues um, as we're traveling down this river, um, the factors start building together and flowing together. And we see that um, concentration and investigation together work really well to um, decrease the hindrances because there's a seeing, oh, there's a hindrance there. Or there's a little bit of knowing when there's something obscuring. Mindfulness and investigation work in that way. And, sorry, concentration and investigation. And then when we have concentration and mindfulness there, then the transformation happens. Um, and the insights start to penetrate more deeply. Um, What can happen is that um, the concentration starts to work with mindfulness to transform, and so we get psychological insights. We can see more clearly how the habitual patterns of, of our lives are put together, and where that, how that comes about. And it's very valuable, and there's a lot of healing in that. And many of you have been describing these insights that you've had. And even if you think your concentration isn't that deep, the insights have been happening. As Gil was saying, we, when we're on retreat, we can't tell sometimes how much stillness is actually here. And so, not to underestimate the transformations that are happening. And then the other um, insights and transformations that happening are happening is we're more clearly seeing 
the impermanence and how things are changing. And we're more clearly seeing how we identify with the mind states and how that makes things sticky. And where the things become more and more workable and the habit patterns start to shift on their own. We're able to see judging arising and suddenly we notice, oh, I became the judge. I became a terrible person who had a judging mind. And we start to see, oh, here's the believing mind state that believes I'm a terrible meditator. We start to see how it gets put together that there's this suffering. Why it is we're feeling uncomfortable and resistant inside. So as I was saying, um, it's using our concentration wisely to develop wisdom um, that's so helpful. Because sometimes these states that we can um, explore in concentration are very blissful and very peaceful and sometimes very interesting. And it's easy to get attached to these Um, experiences and to come in and want the same sit that we had last time and then be really spend a lot of time trying to create recreate setting it up again and be pursuing some particular state that we liked I want a clear mind where the mindfulness is just spontaneously happening and insights happen I want at least one more of those today Um, whatever it is that we find. (coughs) Bhante Gunaratna says, only concentration untainted by craving can act fully as a path factor leading to awakening and freedom. So it's just acknowledging that. The other thing is it's acknowledging that it takes time to develop concentration, patience and resolve. And it's a gradual process. Some people like the analogy, it's like a sloping shoreline that gradually goes down into the ocean and gets deeper and deeper and deeper. But it's almost like um, where I live in Vancouver, there are places where the tide goes very, 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 very far out. And you have to walk a long way if the tide's in sometimes to get above your knees. (laughs) And to be able to swim, you have to walk a really long way. So it's that kind of gradual, gradual shoreline. Sometimes something will happen that will trigger us into a sudden depth. But often it's more gradual like that. And that's okay. Just allowing that gradual deepening. Sometimes it's coming from us. We can be, it can be a simple calming experience all the way to a place where those five factors that I imagined, I, I imagined, <laughs> I mentioned, <laughs> and um, that can we, when those are completely in balance, there are, the hindrances disappear, and we develop a very bright concentration that's sometimes called access concentration. So we can, where the mind is unified and one-pointed, 
So we can have this gradual place all the way to there where the monkey mind has stopped doing its monkey things. The monkeys are all pacified and they're just lying there hanging out and they're really peaceful and there are no hindrances. The problem with that is that um, it's not permanent. And at some point during the retreat or when you go home, the monkeys will get up and start doing their things again. And so it's understanding and appreciating um, that the, the benefits from having moments free from hindrances are so healing and refreshing for the mind. But we also need to turn it and use it for wisdom practice to look more closely into experience and to see how the mind works, to see how we can be free. Sometimes it's talked about as two paths, the path of absorption, sometimes called jhana or um, um, shamatha, and the path of insight. And, of course, the first path leads to this um, blameless kind of happiness where the mind is satisfied with inner peace, with not seeking things that are dependent on external stimuli. And they're the antidote to all the worldly sense desires and aversion and confusion and doubt. And it's so beneficial, as I was saying, and leads naturally to equanimity. And as I also was saying, the Buddha, the difference between the Buddha and many of his contemporaries was he knew, his experience was, that that didn't lead to freedom from suffering. So he said, do not stop within or without. Don't stop there. Keep going. If we're only free when things are blissful and comfortable, That's not freedom. We can suppress what we're avoiding um, so it doesn't get metabolized. John was referring to it um, the other morning as spiritual bypass. Ajahn Chah refers to it as putting the lid on the smelly garbage. As soon as your concentration is gone, the lid is off the garbage and nothing has changed. Larry Rosenberg um, describes this as when people um, achieve deep concentration but don't work on their demons, the demons remain strong. Such Such people are still deluded, but just very calm in their delusion. So, the encouragement to go further, to use the power of the steady mind, to see clearly, to look in, to penetrate the really deep regions of the mind, or to allow that to happen, just by inclining the mind. Because this, it, the, the inner stability is such um, a powerful place to really be able to see that we can hold the most difficult things and not be moved, not be shaken by them. To contact the unshakable heart where things can be seen and known for what they actually are. 
And my experience has been over and over that sometimes really deep patterns from my life arise of fear, of self-doubt, or um, one of them is this underlying pattern, something is wrong, something is wrong. And it sort of feeds an underlying anxiety. And I can be in this place of stillness and simply see it unfolding and moving through without being moved by it, without being reactive. And that's such an incredible thing to be free. It doesn't mean it doesn't arise. And that's actually an amazing thing. I used to think that I would things would stop arising for a while on retreat and I would see impermanence and I would have an experience of not being identified. And then I would go out and it would all come back again. And I would be so frustrated. And now I no longer have the expectation that it's not going to come back. But what I have seen is that I can be free while it's coming back. And that's what the stability and concentration can bring us. And it is something that we can bring into our daily life. We can't, of course, obtain the deep states of absorption in our daily life, but we can have this stability of continuity that keeps knowing what's happening now. Knowing and remembering, oh, this is not who I am. This, is, this feels real, but it isn't actually true. These feelings feel so real and compelling. And the stories, and wow, look, I'm believing all the stories. But it's not actually true. And by keeping on paying attention in a continuous, gentle, kind way, we build the kind of unshakable stability that can be with the difficulties in our world. And that's what our world needs us to do, to build that unshakable heart that is moved by the world, feels, is touched by the world, but is able to only respond out of clear seeing and not out of confusion and doubt and hurt. Because those, quali- those things have been transformed by our mindfulness, our wisdom, our compassion, all the factors of awakening weaving together and taking us down the stream. one um, couple of things that I'd like to add and that's that concentration can really intensify our experience and and when we're open we're very vulnerable and so just as something may appear really beautiful or like my shoelaces, things of wonder (laughs) sometimes we can be very sensitive and something difficult may come up and we feel that really intensely So it might be something from our past, some regret, and we feel the remorse really intensely. Or someone may sneeze in the hall, and we feel it really intensely. And so just to have compassion and respect for how the concentration makes us sensitive in that way. 
just to hold that with gentleness. The value of that is that the concentrated mind is so sensitive, it picks up the slightest unwholesome thing and couldn't possibly do that because it's really clear that that would be harmful to myself. So a a possibility of judging might arise and the concentrated mind goes, oh, and releases it. So we're developing these beautiful qualities. Another, I'll finish with this from Bhante Gudnaratna. Not putting the concentrated mind to good use is like receiving the gift of the world's finest thoroughbred racehorse and using it for quiet country rides in the neighborhood. It's too valuable a tool to waste. So allow your eyes to close. Few cross over the river. Most are stranded on this side. On the riverbank, they run up and down. But the wise person following the way crosses over beyond the reach of death free from desire, free from possessions, free from attachment and appetite, following the seven lights of awakening and rejoicing greatly in one's freedom. In this world, the wise person becomes a light, pure, shining, free. Thank you for your full presence. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.